Uh, welcome to Twin Lakes Church again. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the other pastors here, and I'm excited to get a little extra time. I'm just doing announcements. We get to preach the first sermon of 2020 and the new decade, and so very honored to be up here today. Thank you. Oh, thanks. And anytime I get a little extra time, I like to share about what's going on with our growing family. Uh, this is a picture of us on um, first day of school. Oh, I am so cute, aren't I? <laughs> Where's <clears throat> all the white hairs you see on my beard growing? But uh, Ella is our eight-year-old. She's in third grade, and she uh, still loves to read. Uh, she's very into American Girl dolls right now. It's a very expensive thing she's into. Let's just keep making more and more things. How many things can a doll have? So many things. <laughs> Anyways, she wants a Tesla, and she's like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> I want a Tesla. Okay. Uh, but she's also loves theater, and she's in her first uh, musical at Twin Lakes Christian School this week, so she's really excited about that. Penelope is our six-year-old. She's halfway through kindergarten, and uh, she's beginning to read, and uh, she loves to play and laugh and sing. And Jamie and I uh, have, will be married 15 years this year, and uh, oh, oh, thank you. We did it. Uh, just keep us in your prayers anytime you think of us or if you see us in town chasing after those things so uh, just pray for us or, or those kids <laughs> uh, well happy new year it's 2020 I remember when we began the 2020 vision that was like 2020 whoa we're we building a spaceship <laughs> and it's just a coffee house but here we are it is 2020 and uh, with the new year come New Year re resolutions. Uh, anybody anybody uh, make a New Year's resolution this year? Nobody wants to raise their hand. I'm not going to ask you if in five days you're still doing it. I just want to know if you made one. But maybe you didn't make one. Like me, I didn't. Uh, partly because I forgot. And also, I like, kind of don't know what to, what to do or what resolutions to make. So if you're like me, you need some inspiration. Here's some that I found from some kids. Uh, here's Declan, he's 11. He wrote, my New Year's resolution is to eat 10 bags of clementines each month. <laughs> That's a lot of clementines. How many, how many are in a bag of clementines? Like 10, 20? How many is that? I don't know, so many. Uh, Jude, he keeps the fruit intake thing going. He says, I resolve to eat more bananas because I only eat two or three a day. <laughs> so, Oh, bananas. Here's Will. It's a little, little change of pace. Will writes, I will eat all the cake. It's four. That's not a resolution, buddy. That's like a declaration to his parents. Uh, here's Hadza wanting to stop a habit. I'm going to stop picking my nose. It is going to be hard. You know what, Hatsa? That is hard. It's still hard. Nobody's, I mean, you're driving, nobody can see you, right? So you just go for it. Anyways. <laughs> and finally, we have Kendra. She's six, and she has some brutal honesty. So, what is the point of making resolutions if you never really keep them? She's six. So, like, already disillusioned with life. My goodness. She's looking at... Declan, that 11-year-old want to eat all these tangerines. Like, what's wrong with you? You're not going to do it. Crazy. She knows what's up. 
and I wonder, like, has she made resolutions and never kept them, or she just sees her parents failing every year, <laughs> throwing away treadmills, and anyways. But it's the truth, right? So many people make resolutions and don't uh, keep up, don't keep them. In a recent survey, it says 60% of people get really excited in December and make resolutions, but only 8% follow through. And about half of them quit by January 31st. There has to be a better way, right? I mean, what if instead of just vowing to change our habits, we dug a little bit deeper to find out how we could make lasting change? Or what about making changes that matter? While eating more fruit uh, is fine and not doing certain things, that's okay, but a lot of times those Things don't matter, the things that we resolve to do, and so we just forget about them. But what about things like being more kind, or being more generous, being less angry? Making changes that matter, making changes that last, it's what our brand new series is all about. Habits of the heart. Take out your message notes that look like this, if you want to follow along and write some stuff down. Uh, today we kick it off, Habits of the Heart. It's based off of a book called Enemies of the Heart by Andy Stanley. And if you haven't um, grabbed that book yet, I encourage you to do so. It's a great resource to read along as we are going through this series. There's a few available out in the lobby. Um, they're available instantly on Kindle or any of those kind of digital platforms or the audiobook if you want to do it that way. But I really encourage you to do that because in this book, we see that there are four deeply rooted emotional forces that can wreak havoc in your life. And these enemies of the heart are the same, uh, can cause the same destructive habits that a lot of us try to stop and try to change. And what we're going to learn in this series for the next uh, few weeks is how we can combat against these enemies of the heart by beginning new heart habits. Each week, you'll learn a new heart habit you can practice, and we'll start that next week with habit number one. But before we do that, today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of set the stage. We are going to learn three key truths about our hearts, things that we need to know before we can begin to uh, change our habits and, and begin these new ones. We're going to find these truths in a story in Matthew chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, Matthew chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one in front of you. Uh, the scripture will also be on the screen. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. But before we uh, jump into the scripture, I want to set the stage, give you some context of what's going on in the world uh, right now at that time. So Jesus is mourning the death of his cousin, John. John the Baptist was just killed and Jesus uh, going through that, and he goes uh, on a walk with, with his disciples, and a huge crowd follows them. So many people, thousands and thousands of people gather, and his disciples are like, Jesus, we got to send them home because it's getting late. They're going to get hungry. We're not, we don't know what to do. And so Jesus says, well, why don't you feed them? And he's like, all we have are these few fish and loaves of bread. And Jesus says, God, give me that. And then he breaks them up, and then they pass them out. And miraculously, they feed thousands of people as it multiplies in those baskets. So we have this miracle happen, and then 
After that, they get on this, uh, the disciples get on a boat and sail uh, on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus meets them halfway while walking on the water towards them and uh, gets in the boat, keeps sailing to the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. They land, and here we are. We pick up our story in Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So these religious leaders show up, and they are very concerned because they saw the disciples eating without washing their hands. It's like my mom was was there. What, why, so what's the big deal? Like, why are they so riled up about this? What you have to understand is being clean was a big deal to the Pharisees. Because if you wanted to worship God, you wanted to enter into his presence, you needed to be clean. And it's not necessarily a physical clean or about hygiene. That's not the point. It's about the ceremonial and spiritual cleansing they went through before they could stand before God's presence. It, it comes from the Old Testament where they would enter into the temple and the priest once a year would, you know, would take the sins of the, of the nation and take it in and, and, and ask for forgiveness and, the, and atonement. And so before they could do that, they had to go through all these rituals to make sure he was fully clean before he walked into the presence of God. Otherwise, that priest could die. And so these Pharisees uh, were were very obsessed about cleansing themselves. And what what happened over time was to make sure they kept clean, they kept creating rules. Over time, more and more elaborate rules were created, and these weren't even written down. These were just oral traditions passed along. Like a one Pharisee one day is like, oh, you know what? We, we wash our hands here. Why don't we have water ready to wash our hands before every single meal that we eat? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And so these traditions would pass on. And so then you see the Pharisees ask Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? So the Pharisees can't believe the disciples are eating without washing, and they flip out, and they confront Jesus. Because what they're saying is, you're letting your disciples eat that way, not washing themselves. They're going to defile themselves. How do you expect them to be able to worship God or follow after God? And Jesus wastes zero time in his response. And I, you know, I think Jesus has just gone through a lot. He just lost his cousin. He just fed a ton of people miraculously. He just walked on the water. And he lands on the boat. I'm sure he's like, let's go land and let's go just hang out for a second. And then these Pharisees show up and like, hey, you, you, those guys are washing their hands before we eat. And he's just like, can't take it anymore. And so he turns to them and is like, oh, my disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. <laughs> well, what about you? And then he goes into the, he like lays into them. In the next few verses about all these rules they've created. And he specifically talks about this rule where, you know, you can, like, give away your money and how it breaks the commandment of honoring your father and mother. It's this really interesting thing that Jesus talks about that we're not going to get in today. But if that interests you, I'm going to record a video about that uh, for one of our video devotionals this week. If you didn't know this, every uh, weekday... Throughout all the year, except in the summer, we uh, send out a video devotional, a short video by Renee and some of our other pastors as as a way to start your day with some inspiration, with some scripture, with some prayer, sometimes some worship. And you can get them via text or you can just go to Facebook or Instagram or our website or YouTube. 
All those directions are on the back of your notes on the bottom. If you don't subscribe to them yet, I encourage you to do so. A lot of cool stuff we cover there and just a great New Year's resolution is start each day with some inspiration and you can do it that way. But that whole thing Jesus goes on about with the Pharisees, he sums up his point in verse 7. And he says this, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You see, what Jesus was telling them was they were so focused on their rules that they lost sight of what they were trying to do, which was worship God. I mean, the Pharisees didn't create these rules to, to be mean or evil. They, it was from a place of wanting to honor God, wanting to please God. And it's something we need to remember today, Christian, in 2020. When we look back, a lot of times we look at these stories and we have to, like, put people in categories. Jesus, hero, Pharisees, enemies. But at the time, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. That everybody looked up to is how do we follow God? We look at the Pharisees and do what they tell us to do. So Jesus is now coming in and he's correcting what they thought because they kept trying to keep themselves clean by following all these rules that they created. And that's how they would be clean. But what Jesus said is, no, you have it twisted. And in verse 10, he drops a bomb on them. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Uh, when, you just, when you read that today, one, you might not understand what is he talking about. You're not sure what that means. But also you might think, like, what's the big deal? At the time, this is one of the most controversial things that Jesus would say to the Pharisees. A lot of scholars believe this is sort of the beginning of the, of the Pharisees looking at Jesus as a heretic, as somebody who's crazy, somebody who might need to be gotten rid of. It angered them so much because what Jesus was doing was going against everything that they believed. Their whole way of life was being questioned. How they viewed their relationship to God was being shaken at its core. Because what Jesus was saying is what you think makes you right in God's eyes and makes you righteous, that isn't the way. But it isn't just the Pharisees who are confused. The people around him, the disciples themselves, they're all confused. Because they all grew up in this place with the same rules, looking up to the Pharisees, being very careful about what they ate and what they did. And so Jesus, you know, they're like, did Jesus just say it doesn't matter what comes into my mouth? And so Peter, who is well known for opening his mouth uh, in the Gospels, pipes up in verse 15. He says, Peter said, explain the parable to us. And again, just think about Jesus' mental state. He's just like angry at these Pharisees. So then this is what he says to his beloved disciple. Are you still so dull? <laughs> Jesus asked them. Okay, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. 
and these defile them. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And so here we have Jesus giving us our first truth. Number one, we all have a heart problem. We all have a heart problem. Jesus is revolutionizing their views on righteousness. Everyone thought to be righteous meant to follow all these rules. But what he is saying is there isn't enough water in Israel to wash off what is actually making you unclean. You know what makes you unclean? It's not the food you eat. It's not the rules that you don't follow. It's what's inside of your heart. I mean, I don't know about the disciples. If I was standing there, I'd be like, oh, did you just say my heart is evil? What? But this is good news. And it's something I think we need to hear today more than ever. I imagine there are some people in here, you're here for the first time today. It's the first service of the new year, or the first weekend in the new year, and um, you thought, you know, my, my, your life is turned upside down. You've turned to so many places, and sort of your last-ditch effort is to turn to God, and you're here today. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know. I've failed so much. God probably looks at me as a lost cause, but I'm here. Or maybe you're here and you've been a Christian, but you think, oh, man, I just can't live up to, the, to what I think you're supposed to be like. I, I look at this other person who's a Christian, and they're, such, they're way better than me. Yeah, sure, God loves me. Yeah, but I don't think he likes me. And then there's some of us in here, we've been Christians a very long time, and we've created our own set of rules. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't go there, I don't watch this, I don't listen to this, I don't hang out with those people. And we can say to ourselves, thank God I'm not like them. And what Jesus is saying is that all of us, no matter where you land, we're all in the same place. That uncleanness that the Pharisees were trying to fix lives in us. Paul, uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 5, talks about sin. And he talks about when it entered the world back in the Garden of Eden. He writes this, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people. Because all sinned. You see, back in the garden was this picture of heaven where we lived and we were created to live in perfect relationship with God. In perfect communion with God. The garden was, a, was an example, was a vision of, of what God wanted for us. To be people who lived and who stood and knew who they were and knew whose they were. Children of God, having full acceptance by him, having full belonging in that relationship. But when sin entered the world, it broke the garden. It broke what God wanted for us. It severed that relationship And we feel the effects of sin to this day. 
because our hearts are longing for that communion, for that acceptance, for that belonging that they were created for with God. But because of sin, we feel that longing. We feel it as despair and dissatisfaction. And, And we've been doing the same thing the Pharisees did. Now, we might not wash our hands to try to clean our hearts, basically, but we have our own rituals to try to fix what we feel going on inside. But it doesn't work. And so Jesus gives us our second truth. Number two, you can't fix your heart on your own. Have you ever felt sick and you decide to Google your symptoms? Has anybody ever done that? There's a reason you're laughing, because you should not do that. (laughs) Unless you want to feel like you are dying. I've done that many a time. And I've gone to my doctor, and he goes, you Googled? I'm like, yep. (laughs) Because you'll Google something like my arm, like arm pain. And, you know, the first thing is, oh, uh, muscle fatigue, a bruise, like acute trauma, Ebola. And you're like... I have Ebola. You Google dizziness, swine flu. Dry mouth, that is mad cow disease. Every service I say that, somebody takes a drink of water. (laughs) I'm okay. But what we needed to stop doing is Googling our symptoms. We need to go to somebody who actually knows what questions to ask, what to look for, who has the tools to actually find out what's going on in our physical bodies. A doctor? Well, it's the same thing with our spiritual hearts. You know, we've been trying to diagnose and fix our hearts on our own. When something comes up, an evil thought, you lose your temper, you say something hurtful to somebody, we alter those behaviors. Oh, stop doing that. Oh, we make these rules. But that's what we've been taught. We, it's how we grew up, right? You're misbehaving, change that behavior. You're doing something you shouldn't, stop doing that. And if we get out of line, there are consequences. It was in kindergarten where I learned my first cuss word. It's the king of all cuss words. And I was six. I'll let you imagine what that is. And one day I was at home while my dad was watching TV and I, was, I remember I was just walking away from the living room and <clears throat> my dad, says, like, hey, pick up that toy. Is that a harmless command? And what I should have said was, yes, Father. And I picked it up, <laughs> put it away. But what I decided to do uh, was use this new vocabulary word that I learned. Because what they teach you in school is when you learn a new word, use it. And that's how you remember it. So I knew, that, I knew that this word was used when you're like angry or you, know, or you didn't feel good. And so I thought, I don't want to pick that toy up. So I did like this half turn, like bleep. And then I turned back to like go wherever I was going. And then I heard this noise behind me. And I, it's like no noise I had ever heard in my home. It's, I, the way I would describe it is like, Imagine like there is this lion in hiding under like the tall grass and he's like here crouched and there is a group of gazelles or zebras coming by and there is this little small one, a very disobedient zebra passing by his view and then he begins the chase and he like pops up out of the grass. That's the sound I heard, that pop up. 
And so I had two choices at that moment. I thought I could turn around and find out what this odd sound is. Or two, that odd sound is my dad and I need to run. And so I chose option two and I ran as fast as I could. And so here I'm running, I'm in the middle of this, you know, National Geographic documentary and I, I, die, I get to my room and I dive under my bed, like into like first base. And I dive, I get all the way to the corner, my bed is up against the wall and I'm like trying to get as far away as I can from the opening from under my bed. And I'm six years old, I don't believe in God or anything like that, but I begin to pray. I'm like, God, I don't know if you're real, but can you save me uh, from this? And if you can't save me, can I just come into your arms gently without pain and and I felt a very strong hand grab me and drag me from under the bed all the way to my parents' bedroom and uh, my dad would proceed to show me that this is a word you don't use and this is the 80s so he used like an old school discipline if you know what I mean. This is Florida, it's not California. (laughs) I don't know, it seems different out here. So he got this alligator and no. So he is giving me this old school discipline and I'm yelling. (laughs) And then I hear a noise. I hear our front door unlatch and the door open. And I thought, oh, my mom's home. Thank God. If you're real, thank you. She's going to come into this room. She's going to see what's happening to her precious little zebra. And she is going to rescue this small child. She walks into the room. And she's, she yells, what are you doing? Stop! And so my dad stops and gently turns and slowly turns and he says, do you know what he said to me? And then he proceeds to say, the king of all cuss words, to my mom, bleep. So then I make eye contact with my mom after she heard this and then all the hope drained from me. Because her eyes widened and then she gave me this look. It's like, it's like the look you, you give somebody when you're saying goodbye and you might never see them again. And then she turned to close the door behind her. And I don't remember what happened. I woke up the next day. I'm like, I'm not doing that again. It's the 80s. But we've all gone through those kinds of situations. You do something you shouldn't do. You find that out. There is a consequence. And then you're like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore because I'm going to try to avoid that pain. But not just physical pain. There's emotional pain. And on the flip side, a lot of times we monitor our behaviors because it's rewarding. Maybe you're at your job and you know I can't act a certain way and I can't say certain things because I want to keep my job. Or if I act this way or befriend these people that I don't even really like, but if I hang out with them and I do these things and say these things, then I can move up. But this is the problem. A lifetime of behavior modifications where all we're worried about are the, the behaviors that pop up and trying to keep rules to make sure that those things are okay. What that does is it leaves our hearts unchecked. Because we're just dealing with the results of what's going on in our hearts. The outbursts. And we can follow those rules that we create. And like, okay. And when somebody says, how are you doing? You're like, I'm totally fine. i got everything under control. Until one day. Under a ton of stress. 
something bubbles up to the surface and pops. Anger, jealousy, greed, sin. And the consequences of those things can be disastrous. Pain, hurt, broken relationships, addictions. And you say to yourself, I do, where did that come from? Because you're like, I've been, I'm fine, but then what happened there? And other people are like, whoa, that is not like you. It's because our hearts have gone unchecked for so long. And our fixes, our rules, it's not working. And that leads us to our third truth. Number three, we need heart change. Because we've tried behavior change. What we need is heart change. All this trying, all these rules that we create, they don't work. Because they don't get to the root of the problem. They don't go deep down to what's actually causing those things to pop out, those sins to happen. It doesn't take away the unrest that we feel, that longing that our heart has. All those things don't fix it. Because we can't fix sin. Only God can do that. Only God can offer us heart change. In Ezekiel chapter 36, there is this prophecy about the nation of Israel and, and what God is going to do one day and this hopeful promise. But I believe after, in reading this passage in Matthew and reading this prophecy, I believe that it applies to us. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 25, it's God speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know who's doing all the work in that? God. It's God who washes us. It is God who makes us righteous. And the way he does that isn't by us following rules and washing our hands and trying to modify all of our behaviors. He does it through Jesus Christ. Because the Jesus Christ who is in this story would go on and go up on a cross and die for our sins. And the Bible says that he took all of our sins, the sins of the world, onto himself. All the impurity, all the defilement onto himself. And he died as a payment for the penalty of the sin. That's something that that only God could do, the Son of God. And he died. And then God miraculously raised him from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what God says is that if you believe in that, you believe in his death and his resurrection, you can have heart change. You can have a new life. I will make you a new creation. In a moment, I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer of faith. And if you're tired of trying to make it happen on your own, if you're tired of trying to fix that inner unrest, if you're here today, and, and, I, and like I said earlier, maybe it's your first time here, or you've been coming here for a while, but you haven't taken that step to place your faith, to surrender your life to Jesus, well, I want to encourage you to do that today. You can start the new year with a changed heart.
And you can place your faith in Jesus and you can rest from your work. You know what Jesus says? He says, if you're tired, if you are heavy laden, if you are burdened, come to me and I can give you rest. Rest from all the work you've been trying so hard to do to, to fix this problem inside of you that you can't fix. Only I can do that. Let me do the work. And Jesus tells all of us today that I have done the work. So I encourage you, when we pray that prayer, you can pray that for the first time. Or maybe you're here and, and you feel, you, you've placed your faith in Christ, but, you know, life happens. And you feel like you are far away from God and God doesn't like you. I want you to know this. God loves you and his grace for you is the same as, as the day you place your faith in him. And today could be a day where you say, God, I want to recommit my life. I want to, I want to start over. And he's ready. You know, as I, th- I thought about this, I thought, you know what? For myself, and I know some people, you think, you know, I've put my faith in Jesus. Uh, God has changed my heart, but I still struggle. Well, I love how Andy Stanley puts it in, in the book, Enemies of the Heart. He says this, what God begins at the moment of our salvation is not completed in that same moment. You're still a work in progress. There's still some heart work to be done. Your heart didn't arrive at its present condition overnight. It won't become healthy overnight either. So here's one bonus truth. Our hearts have room to grow. We are a work in progress. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is working on us. And what God does is when we uh, place our faith in him, he then calls us to live for him daily, to devote our lives to him daily. And as we do that, we grow. But you know what the beautiful truth of God and his grace and his love is? Is that he not only calls us to follow him, but he empowers us to do it. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit then comes to live inside of you. The same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The next verse in that prophecy in Ezekiel 36 verse 27 says this and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws he moves us to be devoted he empowers us to follow after him so I want to encourage you in this series as you come back each week to learn these new heart habits that that each week isn't a, a, a week for you to find out some new rule you have to follow to please God. No, it, there are ways for you to grow and that God is standing next to you, inside of you, through the Holy Spirit, empowering you with you each step of the way. So church, be encouraged today by this. We all have a heart problem. None of us are exempt. And so many of us, we just have been trying to fix it on our own, and it hasn't worked. But the truth is, our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. With all your eyes closed, 
I just want to just invite you, if, if you're here today, whether it's your first time here today, or you've been coming here for years, but you've never actually taken the step to place your faith in Jesus, to surrender your life to God, I'd encourage you to do that today. In a moment, I will lead you in a prayer, a simple prayer of faith. And if, it's, if you're here, and like I said, you, you know what, you just for some reason... Just feel like your relationship with God has gone off course and he seems far away from you. Can I just tell you something? God has not moved. Though you feel like you've gone far away from him, he stands there, arms open. And you, if you'd like, you can pray this prayer just as a symbol, as a recommitment, just a a moment you can say, you know what? I pray that prayer so God, so from today, I want to live for you. Wherever you are, as I pray this prayer, repeat it in your heart. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love and your grace. I thank you for your son, Jesus, that he lived innocently on this earth without sin and he died on the cross for my sins God you rose him from the dead you raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit so God I believe and I confess my faith in you I surrender myself to you God, I will quit all my work to try to fix myself. And today I ask, change my heart. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And the truth is, Lord, that though we have this problem of sin, God, that you offer us new life, you offer us a changed heart, you offer to make us a new creation because of what you did. The work that we try to do has been done by you, Jesus, on the cross. And the power of your resurrection, Lord, we can have new life. So, God, we worship you this morning. Just thank you for everybody in here who prayed that prayer for the first time. God, may they sense your grace and your love for them. For those, Lord, that recommitted their lives, that want to just make a new start, God, I pray that they would know that, they are, that you are with them through your Holy Spirit, empowering them, walking with them through this life. In Jesus' name we pray.